The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Before we begin, I just wanted to let you know how grateful uh, I am for your prayers and concerns uh, during my recuperation. Um, Evidently, it did some good, and I greatly appreciate it. Dear Lord, help us to put our hand in your hand as we walk in service to you. Amen. We have an opportunity uh, today to consider the, not only the value, but the components of uh, discipleship. And I'm not talking about the disciples, I'm talking about us. Jesus said in the first line of this uh, passage from Luke, there are two very important things, one at the beginning and one at the end. And in a way, they sort of justify or show why this journey of discipleship is so crucial. Um, and the first bit is, it says, before Jesus was taken up. And we know what that means. That's the ascension. That's the other end of the story. After everything has happened, he is taken up. And at the other end of the sentence, it says, he will put his face towards Jerusalem. And I dare say putting that face towards Jerusalem was not just one of joy, but one of understanding about his sacrifice, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. But here's the thing. Who's going to take over for him after he's gone? And the answer is the disciples. So don't you think they better know what's up before they take over? And we've heard stories over and over again in Scripture in, in the New Testament where Jesus is really rather worried about these fellows and what they're going to be able to do. Thanks be to God, they rally at the last moment and, and, and make him proud. So this is sort of a highly charged uh, passage about apostleship. And the initial parts are, are really quite interesting because uh, Jesus is in the north uh, of, uh, 
uh, the, he's, in, he's actually in uh, Israel, and he, he's in the north uh, of the country, and he will be moving south to Jerusalem slowly. But he's up there, and his idea is that he needs to send some people out to let them know of his ministry, let the people know of his ministry, and even find a village where perhaps uh, he could come and teach. And as we read, uh, he sends out these messengers, and uh, the, the, uh, essentially the Samaritans say, uh, in this village, they say, you know what, we, we're going to give it a miss. We're, we're not, we don't need you here. But they say, and this is pretty incredible, because remember, the Samaritans are not viewed with much respect uh, by those in Judea, and certainly not by the people who follow Jesus. And, um, and so what do they say? They say, uh, we don't want to delay you because you've got your face set towards Jerusalem which to me is kind of a powerful message that says, you know, even the oddest people um, can come and see what is next and what is necessary and what they need to do. Then James and John are passing through that same village and they are upset by this decision from the Sumerians. And basically they say, Jesus, can you imagine this? Say, Jesus. We want to drop napalm on this village and destroy it. Think that's a good idea? They actually say that. Is this a good idea? And obviously Jesus says, says no. But um, that, that sort of horrible thing is actually, it's supported, you know, in, um, uh, in Scripture. Uh, in fact, no less a personage than Elijah um, uh, not only spoke about doing this, but did it. Um, he, uh, was old, he was in conflict with many kings of the northern kingdom, but, but one was called Ahazah, and Ahazah was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. And Ahazah was really essentially a Baal worshiper. He was not a, not a believer. And he was always fighting with, uh, uh, with Elijah. And there comes this story where Elijah's sitting up on this hill, and the king says, hey, come down from there. I want to deal with you. And Elijah says, no, I'm not coming down. And then, then, the, then the fellow says, well, I'm going to send up some troops. I'm going to send up 50 troops, and you better come down. And uh, what happens is Elijah says, if you don't think I'm a prophet of God, then watch this, and essentially torches the 50 men, and they're not there anymore. Then Ahiza does it again, and lo and behold, he does it again and, and burns all of these people up. So there's sort of this tradition, you see, of, of doing this thing in a rash way. Well, Jesus is putting a stop to it, obviously. He's saying, look, this is nonsense. And I think the main thing he is saying something that we human beings have never learned from the beginning of time, that is, violence does not justify a good cause. Never. That's what he's saying. And, of course, people will kind of get on, because, you see, the, the quickest way to achieving your ends is violence. And that's not the way Jesus works. He works around, around people, through people, but not straight through them. So the first message you're hearing about discipleship is you don't use violence as a way to follow me as a disciple. And that's pretty emphatic. Um, 
Just as a side note, um, you know, if you were ever able to separate your young people uh, from iPhones um, for a second, and you said to them something like this, um, Jimmy, uh, there's a book that I don't want you to read. It's full of violence and sex and betrayal and these great things that happen, monumental things to not just the individuals, but the country that, you know, don't read that book no matter what. I don't know if we have a chance to get them to read the book. I read the book then. It was so cool. It really is. The Old Testament is so powerful, showing individuals put in impossible places and who helps them? God. So they're walking along and uh, this first fellow comes up to him and he's uh, he's very sure of himself. In fact, he's all full of self. He says, Jesus I will follow you anywhere. Now, he doesn't say the present. He says forever. And, you know, people who say that about forever, you know, you've you got to be careful of that, right? I mean, he says, I'll follow you forever. And Jesus says, uh-huh, okay. Well, let me just tell you something. He said, don't you understand what I'm really about? Don't you understand what it's going to mean for you to be with me to the end? Well, Animals, all animals of the natural order have a home, a place to be safe. Foxes have their holes. Birds have their nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere, nowhere on earth to be safe. Nowhere. And essentially he's saying to this man, you know, can you drink of the cup that I drink? And obviously this poor man can't. But I think what he's illustrating about this man is... uh, is his great selfishness. In effect, he's sort of saying, this man is saying, you know, I think I can handle this. You know, I've, I've been through bigger things than, you know, hanging out with Jesus, you know. Um, and that, that example about how big selfishness was in this person, I think, is the point. Now, you know, for us, selfishness is not only, it is not a foreign thing. It's kind of like a genetic trait. It's in us. And sometimes it's all we think about. You know, I'm all I'm 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 all I think about. Um, I saw a jo- I saw a joke. I don't know if anybody saw this in the New Yorker, uh, and it was uh, as usual a guy sitting at a bar with the bartender, um, and um, he he says, uh, you know, do you know I'm all I think about? And, you know, sort of like, what do you mean through all you think about? That, that's not what you should be thinking about. You should be thinking of other things, you know. The whole idea of the self, where did that come from? It wasn't around here, you know, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. It probably started, actually, uh, with the Medicis. Uh, before that, art had no uh, human person. It started with the Medicis. And why? It's because they set up banks. They were the first group of people to set up active, easy-to-use banks. And when you do that, you get money. And when you get money, you start to buy extra things. And you also say how great you are. Well, Jesus is trying to step away from that and to help us step away from that. And it is very hard for us not to think about ourselves. But the thing is, if we think about ourselves, there's no room for God. That's why you have to sort of flush that out. You have to try to think a little more about him. I don't mean just think about him. I mean, perhaps you pray more, 
You pay more attention to certain things that you would like to do. And that's how you get the self out. Remember, the way you can defeat the self or anger or anything else is when it's happening, you do something for somebody else. You know, and, and that's really important. You know, it's not it's not just what we you know, what we are. It's what we do. And it's crucial. So Jesus is then sending a message in addition to the story about how dangerous violence is. He's saying, no, you know. Stop. Don't keep thinking about yourself. Good disciples don't. And good disciples don't because they're preaching about healing and they're preaching about the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, there is no room for self. The second man comes. uh, They're walking along the second man and Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. The Lord of heaven says to this guy, follow me. And what does the guy say? He says, well, I'd like to, but um, I've got these customs, these Jewish customs, which honor the dead. And wait a sec, wait a sec, I'll be right back. But I've got to take care of this other stuff, my father's body being the first thing. Now, you may think on the surface of that, that that's sort of all right. But it isn't, because here it is. Jesus is saying that if you follow certain customs or institutions in the place of me on a regular basis, Jesus is going to lose you. And he uses this thing about about death. You know, where would you best go to hear about the resurrection, about conquering death? Where would you go to hear that? To a graveyard? No, you'd go with Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying is to this man who he asked to join him, is he saying, okay, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. And if you want to be that way and never grow into the knowledge of me and my favor, go right ahead. That's what he's saying. And that is, as they say, a teaching moment. It really is. It's like, please, please, just follow me. And finally, finally, our Lord is walking along again, and he, he sees a man, and uh, he asks that man, he said, would you come with me? And this man says, well, uh, first I've got to go kiss my family goodbye, uh, and then I'll come with you. And that's not the right thing for him to have said in terms of being the kind of fulfilled disciple that he, he needs. And I say that, again, not because loving family and, 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 and respecting them is a bad thing. It's because our Lord demands, requires, wishes our full attention on him. And your family will be okay, you know. But Jesus wants you, he wants you with us. So there are these things that are pushing us, hopefully, uh, towards... Um, towards embracing uh, discipleship. But it really isn't enough. I I mean, I think for us, when we read scripture of that nature, it almost seems like the search for discipleship is too big. You know, it's kind of like saying, I'm going to be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you remember, he's the Lutheran pastor who uh, uh, preached against the Germans, worked against the Germans, and was eventually uh, 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 imprisoned and then hung. And you say, well, that's, you know, that's an apostle, and I could never be like that. But that doesn't excuse you from trying to be kind of a, a smaller person who follows God's will. 
I think God would be just as happy with that, you know. So there's, and there's a, just such a bunch of those things. And in order to do it, there's a, a Jimmy, a Johnny Cash uh, song, you know, um, put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. I think that's, that's a good way to start. You just follow Jesus. You follow him. If you remember, Elisha hung out with Elijah when he was probably terrified. He said, no, 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 I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here. That's being a good disciple. And preaching the kingdom of heaven is an elusive topic. But basically, it, it, it really means, I think, a bunch of simple things, which are, you know, be kind, you know, be forgiving, be patient, do unto others as they would do unto you, be of service. And we can, we can know those things. And I think the idea is in discipleship is that maybe we do those things anyway. But I think what God is asking us is to do them a little more. And then to think about him in that, in that context, in that process. And that's what it means. This isn't like some kind of a special race or anything like that. It's a way that we can come to understand our relationship with Christ as a Disciple. Kukupolos, the Latin means a learner. And of course, we're all learners about everything, but this is very important. We are learners and part of our Lord. And I think as Christians, that's, that's a good thing and it, it may be a difficult thing, but a lot of these things are just things which, if you thought about it and put your, you know, your selfish situations to one side, which believe me is always hard. They're the right thing, you know, they're the right thing to do, and they make sense. So I guess I'd say um, uh, in conclusion that, um, you know, it's, it, apostleship is about trying to love Jesus more. Uh, it's about trying to know Jesus more. And it's about trying to serve Jesus more. So I think we're all welcome to that kind of apostleship if we dare. Amen.